The sermon passage for today is Exodus 23, verses 20 to 33. Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. When my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I will blot them out. You shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. You shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from among you. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror before you and will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come, and I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites from before you. I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possessed the land. And I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the Euphrates. For I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand and you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. They shall not dwell in your land lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Thank you, Kimberly. If you haven't already, please take your Bibles and turn over to Exodus chapter 23. Here at Redeemer, we are working our way through the book of Exodus. And so if you've been with us for the last several months, this is either great news or sad news, but we have come to the end of the law at least from the reading of the law, not from the requirements thereof. But we have come to the end of God giving his law to his people. And it ends in what I think is a, a bit of a very interesting way. It ends with God showing his people where they're going and how he's going to get them there. So if you're one of those folks that's like, just tell me where we're going and what to expect, and I'm good. Do I have any of you here today? Like, like this passage is, is kind of for you. Um, except we're not by a mountain in a wilderness outside of Egypt thousands of years ago. So besides that, like, like what the Lord is ultimately doing in this passage is he's coming and he's saying this. I've given you my law. I've given you a calling. I've made you a people. And now I'm going to show you where we're going and what this is going to look like so that you will follow me. The takeaway of the passage is know the Lord. Hear the Lord. Walk with the Lord. That's the driving takeaway from this passage. But the Lord... I would argue is very generously and very graciously giving his people a word of where they're going and what to expect to encourage their faithfulness to him. Now, these folks receiving this passage have been through quite a bit. Slaves in Egypt, 
miraculously set free. Miraculously walking through parted seas, following a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire through a wilderness, doubting all the time if they were doing the right thing. And now they've come to the mountain and the Lord is meeting with them and the Lord is giving them his word and the Lord is showing them what he desires from them. Because the overarching theme of this law section, Exodus 20, 21, 22, 23, is the Lord saying, I freed you, you belong to me, but I didn't free you so you can go do whatever you want to and, and decide who you want to be. I freed you that you could serve me. I freed you that you would belong to me. I freed you that you would glorify me. I freed you that you would faithfully picture my goodness amongst all the nations of the world. And now, here at the conclusion, the Lord says, I'm going to help you do that. I'm going to help you do it by putting my presence among you, by reminding you of my calling upon you, and by telling you what to expect as we This passage so speaks to the future failings of Israel that skeptics of the Bible say there's no way it was spoken here. It had to be a future tense retelling dropped back. It's so spot on. By the way, I don't believe it's a future tense retelling drop back. I believe God spoke it in this moment, in this place, in this time to speak to the fears and the doubts and the disbelief of the people to prepare them for what was coming. Because almost everything that he speaks to in this passage moves into a future failing of Israel. Like it says over and over and over don't play around with false gods. Why? Because the Lord knows they're going to be tempted to play around with false gods. He even tells them the conquest of the land, it's not going to be an immediate conquest. I'm not going to drop a nuclear bomb and be done and give it all to you. He says it's going to be slow and it's going to move slowly. And I'm actually telling you that in advance so you'll trust me when it doesn't go quickly. The Lord is saying to his people, I want to tell you where we're going. I want to show you how to trust me. And I'm going to give you the provision of my very presence among you to guard you and protect you and lead you and guide you. This is a huge gift of God's grace to his people. So let's, let's, let's walk through this. And let's see the, the huge gift of God's grace this was to his people. And then let's ask the question, okay, what does this look like for us? So first point, if you want to take notes this morning, preparing for next. Preparing for next. Where are we going? The people were in Israel. They were set free. When they were set free, they didn't take the short path to the promised land, but God made sure they went on the long path. They doubted all along the long path. They've come to the mountain where Moses met with God 
and was told to go to Egypt. And now on that same mountain, God is meeting with the people. But all along, they're still wrestling with the question of when do we get to the land? When do we get to the land that you promised to us? When's all of this going to unfold? And so as we read through verses 20 through 33, kind of the first layer that we can see there is God is preparing them for what's coming next. So let's just pick up in verse 23. When my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I blot them out. What the Lord is saying here is that we are going to the promised land. There was a land that I promised to Abraham. There was a land that I promised to your fathers. There was a land that you left when you came to Egypt. And I promise you, we're going back to the land. So what the Lord is saying is, I am going to keep my word to my people. We are going back to the land. But you know, instead of saying we're going to your land or we're going to my land, he calls it the land of the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, which kind of reminds them that like there are other people there. And they're not going to be excited that we're coming to the land. They're not going to go, oh, you have a divine right to this. We'll just step out of your way and let you have it. Like this is not potentially going to go well for us. So the Lord adds, and I blot them out. Not only are they going to the land, but the Lord says, second, I will defeat all of the enemies in the land. I will defeat them. Verse 25, you shall serve the Lord your God and he will bless you. You shall serve the Lord your God and he will bless you. So what the Lord says is, I am going when I bring you into the land, I'm going to give you very particular blessing, your bread, your water, your health, your childbearing, and your life. The Lord says, when you come to the land, I'm going to bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from among you. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. Now, we must pause right here for a minute, okay? Why is the Lord promising these things? Food, water, health, fertility, long life. Why is he promising that? Because the question of a new people in a new land is can they fill it? Can they inhabit it? And can they survive in it? Okay, so what the Lord is really saying with these five things is, I know what you need when you get to the land, and I'm going to give it to you. The Lord's saying, I know what you need 
and I'm going to give it to you. Now, let's hit pause right here, okay? Because there's a whole lot of grief and heartache and struggle if you read those five things as somehow they're always and forever promises to the people of God. That would be a huge theological mistake. And it usually plays out like this. If we would just trust God, or if we would just get sin out of our life enough, then we'll have health and wealth and happiness and provision, and everything will go well for us. And all of us have faced that on some level before. That's not what God is saying here. That would be a huge misstep on our part. The Lord's not even promising that to Israel forever. What he's saying is when you get to the land, it's going to be a vast land and you're a small people and I will progressively make you mighty and progressively make you able to inhabit it and tend it and care for it. And these things are what you need for the moment. So if we could just jump all the way ahead, because I know the grief in those five things. If we could jump all the way ahead to our New Testament application, our New Testament application is not trust the Lord and always have health. Our New Testament application is trust the Lord that he knows what you need for the place that he's put you and he will give you what you need for faithfulness. That's where this passage drives us. Sorry, I just had to chase that rabbit because I could see this landing so hurtfully if we weren't careful. So he says, we're going to the land. Your enemies will be defeated. God's blessing will come upon you. Number four, this is good news too. The victory will be slow and progressive. The victory will be slow and progressive. Verse 29, I will not drive them out from before you in one year. Well, why not? Get rid of them. They're enemies. Lest the land become desolate and the wild beast multiply against you. The Lord says, actually, it wouldn't be in your best interest for me to drive the people out of all the land at once and drop you somewhere in the middle. Therefore, little by little, verse 30, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possessed the land. So the Lord says, the victory will come little by little. Why does he need to tell them that? Well, if you don't know the end from the beginning, because when the victory comes little by little, they're going to doubt God. And when the victory doesn't come immediately and swiftly and everybody's destroyed immediately, they're going to doubt God. And the Lord's reminding them there is a reason why the victory will come little by little. I'm telling you that from the beginning so that you will trust me every step of the way. And fifth, you will possess the land. Verse 31, I will set your borders from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines. And from the wilderness to the Euphrates. For I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand. And you shall drive them out 
before you. So the Lord says, here's what's next. We're going to the land. The enemies will be defeated. I'm going to bless and establish you in the land. Your victory, while slow and progressive, will ultimately be final because you will possess the land. Why is the Lord telling them this? Why is he giving them these details? Because he wants them to joyfully follow him, joyfully serve him, and joyfully glorify him. And for whatever reason, it's fun to look backward and celebrate victory. But we forget the hard ups and downs and missteps along the way. And so the Lord is giving Israel promises with specificity to empower them for the peaks and the valleys and the ups and the downs and the missteps along the way. See if I can illustrate this to you. We teach history in the sense of the big collective win. Right? I say World War II. What do most of us under the age of 70 think? Big victory, atomic bomb, swift treaty. Because we look at the end of the story. But if you walked through those war years, what's left out of that story? are actual days, weeks, and years of doubt, of struggle, of fear, of worry, of moral dilemma, of developing slowly new technologies for war. And in all of that, up and down and all around, folks had to get up and put one foot in front of another And keep fighting forward. And so this preparation that the Lord's given his people is to give them what they need to fight one step forward. One day at a time. So before we move on this point, let's wrestle with this. Some of you are like, okay, that's cool for them. But do I get any of that? Anybody need some preparing for what's next, 101? Okay. Well, I got to play the preacher card for a minute, okay? So 2 Timothy 3 and 4 tells us this, that in the scriptures, the Lord's given us everything that we need for a life of godliness. So 2 Timothy 3 and 4 tells us that the Lord has given us the what's next. All the what's next that we need, whether we feel it or not. So what is some of that? What is some of that? Because I'm telling you that the the specifics of this were for Israel in the wilderness. But the principle of it, the Lord gives to his people what they need for a life of faithfulness is true. Well, we have it in the scripture. What the scripture tells us is that Jesus has defeated sin and death. 
The scripture tells us that Christ is coming again. That everything wrong in this life will be made right by Christ in the next life. The scripture tells us that by the power of the spirit who dwells within us, we're not alone in this life, but actually the Lord is with us to help us navigate this world. And he wants us to believe the gospel of Jesus. He wants us to build the church of Jesus. And he wants us to fight for the things that matter to him in this world. And then the scripture says that that's everything we need for a life of godliness. So I would say to us that the Lord has prepared us for what's next through his word. So let's take up his word and believe that in it is the guidance that we need to move forward. So first, preparing for next. Second point, if you want to take notes, is God's holy people. So I said, if you read through this passage, verses 20 through 33, you get this layer of what's coming. The second thing you get is this layer of God reminding Israel that he has a desire for them. The desire is that they would faithfully walk with him and represent him among the nations. To kind of put it in modern terms, God didn't free Israel from Egypt so that Israel could decide who Israel wants to be. But rather, he freed Israel from Egypt to be what they always had been, which are his people who serve him and honor him in the world. Remember, the whole law is about him teaching them how to do that. And this little conclusion's not going to undo any of that. It's just going to drive it home. And so the big nail home, verse 25. You, once you're in the land, shall serve the Lord your God. You shall serve the Lord your God. The, the Lord's saying to Israel, I freed you so that you could serve me and worship me and honor me. And when you get to the land, the peace in the land, the prosperity in the land, the blessing in the land, every bit of it is about you serving me and worshiping me and honoring me. I'm just removing hindrances and stumbling blocks and roadblocks from before you. So if we were to go all the way back to Exodus 4, those of you that have been with us, that was like, I don't know, two years ago. Um, we were to go all the way back to Exodus 4. God sent Moses to Pharaoh. And what did God have Moses say to Pharaoh? Let my people go so that they can serve me. The whole Exodus story is about God freeing his people to serve him. And the huge promise of what's coming is it will be, it will be in the land. And so the Lord gives them some warnings, some warnings that might undermine this calling to serve the Lord. Now, Americans, I want you to hear this, okay? We hear warnings and rules as unnecessary inhibitions on our freedoms, right? Like that's how we take all rules. 
Maybe not with our words, but like deep in our soul. We just don't like to be told what to do. And if you read the Bible like that, you're just missing out because that's not what God's doing. That's not what he's doing. The rules are because he knows our weaknesses. The rules are because he knows our tendencies and he's speaking to them in advance. Verse 24. When my angel goes before you and brings you into the land, I'll blot out all the people. But verse 24. You shall not bow down to their gods nor serve them. What's the warning? Don't bow down to or serve the gods of the nations. Now, why would God say that? Because he knows they're going to be tempted to. He knows they already are tempted to, and he knows they've already wanted to go back to Egypt many times before. So he says, look, before I thrust you into the land, just know this. Don't be tempted by what they claim of their gods because I'm the God. I'm the one true God. Serve me. Not only that, verse 24 But you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. So the Lord says, just don't even keep their places of worship around because that's just going to make you tempted to consider the gods. So we're just going to destroy the altars and the places of worship of the false gods among the nation. Why? Because he knows their tendencies to drift toward other gods. Verse 32. You shall make no covenant with the people or with their gods, meaning make no agreements with them because agreements with them are going to draw their false worship into you. Hold firm. Verse 33. They shall not dwell in your land. Why? Because their dwelling in your land may make you sin against me. So I want to protect you from sinning against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you, a stumbling block to you. So the Lord is saying, remember who you are and remember to not be drawn into giving away your calling, giving away your holiness, giving away what I have created in you. Your calling will be threatened in the land. Stand firm. You will be tempted to move toward other gods. Stand Okay, before we move on from this point, how do we take this with us today? Well, friends, Israel was called to be a holy nation and a royal priesthood before the world. And in the New Testament, Peter takes that exact same language and applies it to whom? The church. He says, you are God's chosen people. You are a holy nation. You are a royal priesthood to represent God in the world. 
everyone who knows Christ has been freed from the bondage of sin and death to be uniquely holy before the Lord. Not uniquely in that every one of us is special, but unique in the sense that we are different from the peoples of the world. The Lord has redeemed us to work his ways into us that we would glorify him in the world. And the fastest way to short circuit that calling is to serve other gods. The fastest way to shortcut our calling as the people of God is to serve or to be tempted to serve or to try to graft in other God worship into our ways and our lives. And we've talked a lot about idolatry over the last few weeks, and I'm not going to re replay all of that. But when I say other gods, don't just think other monuments, but think the benefits of what other gods promise to their people. We don't need their gods for those benefits. The Lord gives to us all that we need in himself. So the Lord calls his people to be a holy people, and he's always reminding his people of this. Now, if you're a good Israelite standing by the mountain, you might just want to throw your hands in the air and shout, help, right? Help. You know, we got three chapters of rules. Help. We got to go to a land we're not in yet. Help. There are enemies there to defeat that aren't intimidated by us. Help. Lord, I hadn't even thought about the animals overtaking us. Thanks. Help. I've buried the lead on purpose. The greatest gift in this passage is the Lord's promise of his presence to help his people in all of these things. So when he says, be holy, he's going to help them be holy. When he says, go, he's going to lead them. When he says, fight, he's going to fight first before them. And when he says stop, he's going to stop with them. This is the blessing of the passage. Third point, God's present messenger. God's present, meaning among us, messenger. So look at verses 20 through 23 with me. We're going to spend a few minutes here. Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversary. Adversaries. 
when my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I blot them out. Now, let's, let's, let's focus on this. What's the Lord say he's doing? It says he's sending, my English text says an angel. So he's sending an angel. Another word would be a messenger. We can go either way we want to there. But he's sending a divine being to dwell among them. And what is the divine being going to do? He's going to guard the people. He's going to bring the people to the land. He's going to speak to the people. Pay careful attention to him. Obey his voice. He's going to defeat their enemies. And he's going to give them the land. So what the the Lord is promising is an angel or a messenger to be God's presence among them. He's promising an angel or a messenger who will speak the word of the Lord to them. And then this is where it gets really interesting and big. He's promising an angel or a messenger who carries the authority of God. Look at verse 21. Pay careful attention to him to obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression. So what's implied here is that this messenger has the authority to forgive sin. Now, who who, who has the authority to forgive sin? The Lord does. Keep reading. For my name is in him. Now, we got to put our Bible hat on here, okay? My name is in him doesn't mean he wears my name tag. It means the essence of being. So what name means is the name of God is in him, which means the character and the power and the persona of God is in him. Again, earlier Exodus, the Lord said to Moses, when you go to Israel and they say, What is the name of the God who sent you? And he said, I am who I am. The Lord's not just giving himself something for a birth certificate. He's revealing who he is. And the Lord's saying, my name, all of who I am is in my messenger. Keep going, verse 22. If you carefully obey his voice, the messenger's voice, And do all that I say. So what did God just do there? He took the words of the messenger and his words and he said, they're one word. Do you see that? What the Lord is saying is that this messenger is divine. This messenger is God's presence among his people. So what the Lord's promising here is his very presence with them to speak to them, to go before them, to go 
into battle with them so that they are never alone. So what the Lord is saying, what I'm asking you to do is I'm going to drop my presence in your camp and I'm asking you to hear me, to trust me, to walk with me, to do what I say. This is the true gift of the passage. God says, I am going to come and be with you and help you do everything that I've asked you to do, right down to fighting the battles for you, right down to making your enemies flee, right down to speaking and reminding you of the very things that I have told you. So the messenger is no mere man. He's no mere angelic being, but he's the very presence of God among his people. Now, if you don't have anything else to do this afternoon, just go home and Google who is the angel of the Lord. Enter. I'll see you on Friday, okay? I think if you want to take the whole... So what I'm telling you the passage definitively says is that the angel is the presence of God who speaks the word of God and carries the authority of God. That's what the passage says. I don't think we can question that and and take the passage seriously. But if you try to put that back into the totality of of, of, of the whole scripture, this sounds awfully familiar, doesn't it? Behold, a virgin will give birth and he'll be called... God with us? John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh, and the Word was with, or excuse me, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things that were created were created by Him. In the beginning, excuse me, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, the only glory of the only begotten of the Father. That's speaking about Jesus. And this sounds very, very familiar, doesn't it? The presence of God, who is the Word of God, who is revealing of God, who will deliver God's people, who will lead them all the way home. Like, this is eerily familiar. And some theologians of the Bible would just say, it's supposed to. Because what we get in the New Testament is the second person of the Trinity taking on flesh and becoming man. And what we're seeing over here in Exodus is the second person of the Trinity momentarily appearing as the angel of the Lord to lead God's people as the presence of God. I think it's 100% fair and accurate to read the scripture that way. But even if you don't, let's just default back to what it tells us to believe. That he gave them the angel as the presence of God, to speak the word of God, to the authority of God. So earlier I asked, who wants some, who wants some of the, the next steps? And some of you said, yeah, here's a much better question. Who wants some of that angel presence of the Lord? Yeah, okay. Well, let's take our Bible seriously, okay? The presence of God, who speaks the word of God, who carries the authority of God to forgive sins and blot out transgression, The scripture said, he has come. His name is Jesus. So if you're here today and you're a Christian, meaning you've professed faith in Christ for salvation, you belong to the Lord because of Jesus. 
And he is the messenger of the Lord who's made the Lord known to us. You're like, okay, that's cool, but the scripture tells us that he ascended into heaven and that's where he is. That's true, but do you know what he promised before he left? He said, I'm gonna leave and I'm gonna send my spirit and my spirit will dwell within you to bring to remembrance all that I've told you. My spirit will dwell within you to, to carry out my work among you. And then in Galatians chapter 5, Paul says, our calling is to keep in step with that spirit, to walk with the spirit who dwells within us. This sounds awfully familiar, right? Friends, this promise that God gave to Israel for the conquest of the land, he has given to us who are in Christ today to walk through this fallen world until he comes again. We have the presence and the word and God with us. So the challenge is for us to believe that in the spirit we have everything we need. And then the challenge for us is to look to the Lord, to listen to him, and to follow him. And in the language of Galatians 5, to keep in step with the Spirit. Now, before I conclude, I have to kind of put on my old school angry preacher hat for a minute, okay? Old school angry preacher hat. Sweaty, screaming Jamie. Ready, break? Let's look at verse 21. Pay careful attention to him, the angel, and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. What this says is, is that this messenger of God has the power and the authority to pardon sin. And Jesus said something very similar when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. The only step toward God is through Christ. It's through his messenger. So if you're here today exploring Christianity, wondering if you might be a Christian, wondering what it would look like for you to move toward God, the scripture says, look to Jesus. And look nowhere else. So if that's where you are today, I want to plead with you. Let us help you look to Jesus. I'd be glad to talk to you after the service. Um, right through those double doors when you leave here is a little black table. On that table are all sorts of resources that would help you look to Jesus. There's also a staff person standing right there who would love to talk with you and help you look to Jesus. But these promises of help are, are to the people of faith. And you could become people of faith today by looking to Jesus. So our Father and our God, we pray that you would work in your people today. And that you would pour out your blessing upon us. As much as what has been said today is true and right and good, I pray that you would help us and guide us. I pray that you will show us how to follow you forward. We pray in Jesus' name.